0: We were a couple of weeks into a new sermon series about the Holy Spirit. We were trying to understand from the Bible, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, put to death sin by the Spirit? And this is not just some theological discussion or a doctrinal debate that is interesting intellectually. Oh, my goodness. This changes how you live. God gave us the Holy Spirit for a reason because he knew we can't do life without it. And so this really matters because a lot of you that call yourself Christians that might be sitting right here, maybe right here in a room this size, I'm convinced there's numbers of you, might still be wondering why after all these years, since I first trusted Christ and became a Christian, does it seem that I am no further along than when I first trusted Christ in my ability to fight sin? Doesn't seem any different. And my ability to respond to trials and suffering and difficulty doesn't seem to be any better, any different. And your appetite, oh, your appetite for the things of God is so minimal. Your joy is so inconsistent and still so tied to your circumstances. And your desire to get with other believers at close range is almost non-existent. And when you hear me talk about reading the Bible, how much of it? That just falls flat on you. And oh my goodness, when you hear me talk about being courageous or confident and actually speaking up for Jesus, you just think, not gonna happen. What's going on? What is going on in the man or woman? And maybe it's you today who feels that way, but you say you've trusted Christ as your savior and you're a Christian. Well, I wanna take the next two weeks to dig into a passage that I truly believe can shed some light on this whole problem as to why some of you fight sin so poorly, respond to trials so poorly, process and interpret life so poorly, get offended so easily and so often. And it's really just still so much all about you. What's going on? Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Beginning of verse 14. I'm going to read Ephesians 5, 14 through 21. And I hope you have the Bible. We use our Bibles. So bring a Bible when you come. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 14. You follow along. Therefore, he says, awake. You who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now from these verses, over the next two weeks, I want to unpack in greater detail for you what I believe are two commands that are tied together. Two commands in these verses that we just read that are tied together. In other words, I don't believe you can obey the first command until you actually begin to understand how to obey the second. But if you get a hold of this, I believe it could change how you see the world around you and how you live your life. And I think it explains, folks, it explains... Why some of you still struggle so much in the Christian life and are so prone to say things like, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And you so often and easily are just ready to throw in the towel. Here's the first command, number one. Paul tells us to wake up and start living for what matters most. Look at in verse 14. He says, awake, you who sleep arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. What he's done is he's reached back to Isaiah chapter 60 verses one and two and he's quoting it, but he's also adding Jesus to it and showing Jesus is the fulfillment of that that was being talked about. Awake, arise, Christ will give you light. And that word awake right there, it is in the imperative tense. It is a command. It's a command. And if you back it up to verse 8, you'll see that what he's doing is he's trying to show a contrast. He wants them to see the contrast between who they were before they came to Christ and who they are now. In fact, let's back it up and do that. Look with me at verse 8. And I'm going to read from 8 through 14 or 17 again. but, But look at me before I start reading again. See if you don't hear... In his tone and a sense that if Paul could, it's like he would like to reach through this letter and just grab them and shake them. Starting in verse 8. Listen to what he says. For you were once darkness. See, he's writing the church in Ephesus, folks. He's writing a group of people that claim to know Christ. The church at Ephesus. This is not an evangelistic message. This is a teaching message for believers. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret." But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, what, what I want you to notice next that he has done, as far as wake up and live for what matters most, is he's going he's to bring the spotlight onto two specific areas in which he thinks we need to wake up most. Two areas where he thinks we need to wake up most. Here's the first. He says, you've got... To see this world the way God sees it. you got to see this world the way God sees it. Look at it, beginning in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And that word see, right there in verse 15, is not the general word that just means take a look. Uh Uh-uh. It is the Greek word blepo. It's the Greek word blepo that conveyed the idea of watchfulness, readiness because of contemplation and spiritual perception and insight. So I hope you can see where this is headed. How are you going to have spiritual perception and insight unless you are filled with the Spirit. Spirit? Awake, see. See, watchful, ready, contemplative, spiritual perceptions and insight. You're seeing things that other people are not seeing. And here's specifically some examples of what we should be seeing different. He wants us to see people the way God sees the people around us. It breaks my heart so often when I'm around Christians, I just have this sense and there's a burden that comes over me that I feel like we've just got untold thousands, sadly maybe millions of Christians, they don't even see people. It's still just all about them, even if they're getting from the house, to job, to Bible study, but on the way they don't recognize there's people all around you. It's almost like they live with, faces are just a blob, it's just grainy black and white, you don't know anybody's names, you don't, you don't see people in particular, you don't realize they have a, an address, A social security number, a name, a background, a heartache, a trial. You have no idea what's going on inside them that they're trying to process, that they're wrestling with. These are people that you work with, people that live on your street, people that go to the gym you do, people that are on the plane with you, people who are sitting in the bleachers, whose kids are playing t-ball along with your kids. People, 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 and so often believers don't even see them. He wants us to see people the way God sees them as created in his image. Yet, enslaved to a horrible master called sin. So that you don't take offense at what they do to you or say about you. And so that you're not just disgusted and put off by the choices they make. That also breaks my heart. I sense among so many believers a revulsion and a disgust for lost people. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you do not get that from Jesus. Thank goodness or we'd all be on our way to hell. But somehow Christians have taken that tone, especially in America today. Because they're so busy wanting to take back America. I've got news for you. It ain't coming back. We're not taking back America, the days are evil and there's real people that are ensnared in real sin and are doing real stupid stuff. Granted, and some of their stupid stuff spills over onto you, but you need to think to yourself, oh, praise God, I'm not that bound still, that enslaved, that in darkness, that hopeless, that confused. Your heart should break. I can't tell you how many times I'm having a conversation with a Christian who is all wound up about their daughter-in-law or sister-in-law or next-door neighbor or co-worker or whatever, and they are so offended and they are so... and I, this is a question I ask all the time: Are they a Christian? Well, no. Shut up! Stop! At, she offended me. Yeah, she's she's lost. So lost. She's doing things that really bother me. I don't understand. You're the Christian. Put on your Christian big girl pants and big boy pants. You're the Christian. You're the one that has hope. You're the one that has insight. You're the one that knows your biggest problem has been solved. Your biggest problem is not what they're doing to you at work. Grow up. Oh, my word. Stop acting and wanting everyone around you to follow the Bible and be nice. In fact, an awareness of sometimes you still blow it as a Christian. Like, oh, my, that's even more troubling. These people have no Holy Spirit, no Jesus. Their biggest problem isn't solved. Compassion. Broken hearted. See them as God. See, when you see people that are just tatted up, pierced all over, hair here, hair here, hair, hair, just doing all kinds of unusual things, don't just pull away and think, oh my word. Ask God to give you eyes that you think that's a real person. That person has a mama. Everyone has one. That person is a father. For all I know, their parents live in Portland and are praying every day that some Christian like you, instead of crossing the street or being disgusted or saying, you know, your language offends me, would actually love them and reach out to them. Somebody just might be praying for them and you could be the answer to that prayer. Begin to see people the way God sees them with compassion and he wants you to look at the evil all around you. I hope I don't need to help you here. Is it evil? Have things gotten worse? And I don't mean I'm just old and everybody said that. It has gotten worse. It's not just that we know more. Some of that is we know more. Because of instant information and and social media, we know so much it can be overwhelming. But yes, it is worse. But you know what? The Bible said it would get worse. We're not going to take back America. I know prayer's not in the school. I know all kinds of things have changed. Guess what? The darker it gets, the more that light stands out. The more twisted and deceptive and confusing it gets, the more attractive truth is, the more broken things are, the more people will be interested in the one who loved broken people and said, come to me, this is a great day to be a Christian. Stop wishing it was 100 years ago and agrarian and we were on farms and everybody played nice. Back then, Christians didn't stand out. Everybody was nice. Everybody was a hard worker. Everybody was still married to the first wife. You had to do something really outstanding to say, but I'm a Christian. Now all you have to do is be compassionate, loving, joyful. Call somebody by name. Be living for something more than you. And guess what? It really stands out. It stands out. It is a great day to be a Christian. He wants you to look at the evil that's all around us, and instead of being paralyzed with fear, we've got Christians paralyzed with fear. And what really just ticks me off is we've got Christians just blogging endlessly about it at their stupid little keyboard. Shut down your keyboard and go love somebody. I don't need you to tell me how bad it is. I know it's bad. Anybody can do that. That's not insightful. That's not helpful. The Bible tells me it's bad. Now go out there and get up next to darkness and make a difference. It's like, you are not that insightful. Whatever, yeah, really bad, got it. Great time to live for him. What else does Paul want us to wake up to? To see the world the way God, do you, I mean, do you think God right now is like, oh my goodness, I never saw this time coming. <laughs> oh, what are we gonna do? no, no. All of history is moving towards his ultimate, final purposes, and our God is not frustrated or limited in any way. And we get to serve him. Start seeing the world the way God sees it. But secondly, he says, you better know What God wants for you in this world. So see it the way God sees it. And then know what God wants for you in this world. Look at verse 17. Therefore do not be unwise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Let me tell you what just happened for a lot of you. I just said will of God. I'm searching for the will. Not just the will of God, the perfect will of God. Oh my goodness! What if I miss it and I go to Portland? It should have been Houston. I stand before God one day. He says, "You missed it. Way back at twenty-one, when when you went Portland instead of Houston, everything was wrong after that." <laughs> Pathetic. So it's just, I see Christians so often who talk about trying to figure out the will of God for their life and it has a paralyzing effect on them instead of a motivating effect on, it's like they stall out and are frozen, combing over their lives in some whimsical, mysterious way, like what is God's will for my life? That is not what Paul's talking about. That's not what he's talking about here because the days are evil, right? He wants us to engage. He wants us to live for what matters most. So listen to me. The will of God is not some cosmic black hole that's supposed to rob you of all momentum and keep you treading water and you don't want to make a single decision until you know the perfect will of God. I'm going to make a statement. that too often goes unmentioned in any discussion about the will of God. The will of God is made known to us in the word of God. The will of God is made known to us in the word of God. Now, I will grant you, the Bible's not gonna tell you whether to take Houston or Portland. Guess why? It don't matter. You can serve him in Portland. You can serve him in Houston. Do you think you can screw up God's plan for your life? He's like, oh my goodness, because you went Portland and Houston was the girl you're gonna marry. Now that's all off. Now you're in a wretched marriage because you went, no. Wouldn't that be miserable? Some of you say, Yes, I know, because I'm living that way. (laughs) Yes, I'm like, It's like, oh my goodness, I gotta find my soulmate, which means I gotta be in the right city to find my soulmate. I gotta go to the right job. I could be in the right city, but still not the right job. But what if I'm gonna meet him at the gym? I don't know. Is it fitness and planet fitness, or is it LA fitness? Oh, oh. Stop it. So often, so often, in fact, most often, When the will of God is being mentioned, it's in conjunction with the word of God. He wants us to know what God's word, when he says understand what the will of the Lord is, he means you need to know God's word for times like this. You need to know what God's word says about marriage and money and time and employer-employee relationships and bitterness and forgiveness and on and on and on. He's given us a big book, and yet so often I see Christians, like, I'm trying to figure out the will of God for my life, Bible's laying over here, a whole lot of us right here, my friend, why don't you start with that, and then God, by his spirit, can fill in those nuances where you don't get details, but so often, if you're already reading God's word, applying it to your life, getting biblical principles, moving forward and obeying in ways, he says, he'll help you figure out the rest. Will of God was never meant to paralyze you. It was meant to motivate you to live for what matters most. Understand what the will of God is so that you don't waste your marriage or your parenting or your money or your time or your work relationships. Because if you don't know what God's word says about marriage and relationships and parenting and friendship and money and time and work, you'll live like a fool. And he says, there's no time for that. The days are evil. We need to make the most of every opportunity in our marriage and with our money and with our time and with our gifts and with our work relationships. There's no time to be bitter for the next decade. There's no time to live like a fool. Understand what the will of God is. Now, here's where it gets really exciting. So that's the first command, wake up and live for what matters most. And he knew, he knew, we can't do this on our own. We will never see the world the way he sees it. We will never see people the way he sees them and have compassion instead of disgust. We would never understand so many things that I've learned about marriage and parenting and money and on and on, what is not my way of thinking, right? His thoughts are just like my thoughts. That's what I love about the Bible. As I read them, I'm like, yeah, that's what I would have thought. No. No, first shall be last. You want to be a leader, be a servant. Lay down your life, no. So you got to read God's word to know what his word says and how to apply it to your life. And he he, he knew you could never do that on your own. That we would need a supernatural power and help. Not just someone on the outside shouting at us, but someone on the inside living with us and helping us live this out and giving us eyes to see differently, giving us hearts that want differently, giving us understanding to his word and what it says and how I would apply that and flesh that out. So Paul is saying, you'll never live for what matters most until you're filled with what helps you most. Look at verse 18. That's where he goes next. Verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. The word dissipation is simply a word that means a diversion, an amusement, a waste. It siphons off energy and emotion and money and focus and purpose. Drunkenness is the exact opposite of what we need right now. We're going to get into it more next week, but People who get drunk get drunk to check out on life, right? That should not be us. We should be dialed in as nobody else, dialed in in ways that that no one else even thinks about, not dissipation, checked out, wasted, but be filled with the Spirit. And it's interesting that he bumps drunkenness right up next to being filled with the Spirit because there's a lot of parallels between the two that we will get into more next week. But right now, what I want you to understand about it are some of the nuances of this command to be filled. Three things. Number one, it is a command. And number two, I'm burning up. I need my handkerchief. I left it down there. Connie, if you would, or Mark, whoever. I'm gonna expire in a pool of liquid. (laughs) It'll just be these little boots here with water all around. Number one. It is a command. Be filled. And here's the deal. He's talking to every single believer. Notice he didn't say, now a word. Now a word for elders and deacons. Now a word for small groups. Now a word for the green berets who will go in first to hard places. We've got to have Christians like that. Army ranger Christians. They'll need to be filled with the Spirit. The rest say, we'll pray for you. Let us know how it goes. Uh-uh. Every believer. It's a command to every believer. So it's not something that just certain believers will have a special level and achieve this in a different kind of way. Nope. Command to everybody. Number two, it's a command that you cannot obey on your own. Now, that's interesting. It's a command, but it's a command you can't obey on your own because it's in the passive imperative. Do you note that? Be filled. It doesn't say fill yourself. Be Filled, So there's something that we have to do to cooperate with God to accomplish this, but we can't do it on our own. But we must. It's a command, but we can't do it on our own. And thirdly, I want you to recognize the verb tense in the original language is a present, passive, indicative. And that means the command is never finished. Literally in the original, it says be Being kept continuously filled. Be being kept continuously filled. In other words, it's not like set it and forget it. Oh, May 2017, remember that? When we all got filled with the Spirit and we never got to think about that again. Done. What else? End times? No, this is something you want to say, God, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And then I want to make this a habit of regularly putting into practice what the Bible says will lead to being filled with the Spirit. But what is it? What is it? And I'm gonna have to continue. So it's a command to every one of you, not special people. You can't do it on your own, but he calls us to do it, and it's never done. Those are some of the things I want you to have in mind about this. In other words, you'll have to understand what the Bible says about how to be filled And make it a practice. So hopefully by now you're you're leaning in saying, okay, all right, already. So how? How would I be filled with the Spirit? What should I do if I want to be filled with the Spirit? And I do, Brad. Well, as we wrestle with this question of how to be filled with the Spirit. I want to point out there are two ditches that we want to avoid. And it's often the case with biblical truth or theological issues. There are two ditches we want to avoid and stay out of. There's one ditch where there are Christians that just say, there's nothing you can do, nothing, to get the spirit like this. You can wait, you can pray, you can hope for it, but it just happens when it happens. It's like lightning, it happens, and you want it to happen. Now, how do I know that's wrong? Because Ephesians 5.18 is a command. It says, be filled. He's not gonna command us to do something that there's not some part in which we play and cooperate to see this happen. It's a command, so this can't be right, that there's nothing you can do. Just wait for it to happen. But as is often the case, the other ditch way over here is, is all way on the other side. And these are the Christians that talk about it almost like it's a formula. The Holy Spirit is a commodity, that we control and you just push certain buttons, check certain boxes, go through certain steps. In fact, read my book and you can be spirit filled, just bam, whenever you want. And I know that can't be right because Ephesians 5, 18 is in the passive imperative. It doesn't say, fill yourself. It says, be filled with the spirit. I'm supposed to obey this command and I'm supposed to have an awareness. I cannot altogether just make this happen on my own. So, what should you do if you want to be filled with the Spirit? And I hope you do. I want to be And I've been praying that this message would be more than information and more than interesting to some of you. I've been praying that God would use this perhaps to dramatically change how some of our church family lives in a way that, wow, would would make us look different than the rest of the world. And would make us maybe even look different than some other churches. We're known for biblical counseling. We're known for the sovereignty of God. I would love for us to shock the world and say, we're known for being spirit filled. Instead of saying, oh, that's the charismatics that do that. What's up next? Rattlesnakes? No. What's up next is making an impact on this world. We need to be sovereignty of God, biblical counseling, spirit-filled Christians in this church family. And oh, what might happen in our jobs and neighborhoods and salons and barbershops and gyms and produce section of of the grocery store. If we had almost 2,000 grace fellowship people, spirit filled, with eyes that see people the way God does, with an awareness of what is God's will, because I'm reading God's word and I'm putting it into practice and I have hope and I love people and I'm not paralyzed with fear. I lean into the darkness and I get to be his ambassador. What might happen? So, I want to give you two ways. There's so much that could be said, but because of time, I just want to give you two ways. And, I, and instead of ways, let's change the word. Two choices that you could make. Because I can't do it for you. Two choices that you could make that I think would put you in a position to be filled with the Spirit. Here's the first. Number one. Learn to accept and even delight in your child. Like weakness. It's kind of a theme we've been on this year. Remember Isaiah 40 and other places we've been in 2 Corinthians 3? Weakness. 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 That's not our default setting. We try to constantly overcompensate and don't show weakness and don't think about I'm weak. Pretend I'm not weak. Get strong so that God will use me. That's not how the Bible teaches. Turn to Luke chapter 10 and let me show you what I'm talking about. Luke chapter 10, I'm going to look at one verse, verse 21. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. And I'm going to read it from the NIV translation. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said... I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. And that word for joy, when it says Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, is not your normal word for joy they had. It's another one that takes it up a notch that meant jubilant exaltation or extreme happiness. In other words, Jesus in that moment when this thought came to him had an explosion of joy through the Holy Spirit. What would cause him to respond that way? Well, it's this. He exploded with joy over the fact that his father... Does not reveal himself to people who are wise in their own eyes. He does not reveal himself to the most educated or accomplished or successful or the most self righteously moral who constantly think about all the things they haven't done that others have done and how much better they are than other people. Uh uh-uh. uh. That he reveals himself to little children. And it has nothing to do with age, my friends. That's a spiritual category or condition. Childlike. Childlike. He reveals himself to little children. It's a spiritual category of people who are weak, helpless, and know they have nothing. And that very thought caused Jesus to explode with joy. In other words, he says, I praise you, Father because you are a God of grace who does not divide the world and people into categories of good and bad, smart and stupid, moral, and have not made bad decisions in their life and never done an immoral, people who are broken and off the rails and their life is already such a mess. No. Two categories for God the Father. Self-righteous and self-sufficient and proud and childlike. Weak. Here's what this means over here. They know what they don't know. They know what they don't have. They know what they can't do. And that's when God gives them more of himself. You can't be filled with the Spirit until you're more emptied of self, self. In fact, I think it's a biblical principle. The people who receive the most from God are the people most aware of their own spiritual bankruptcy and weakness and helplessness. It's a theme all through the Bible. He shows up when you're weak. He shows up when you acknowledge, I can't, I don't have it, perfect. Perfect. If you're still caught up, listen my friend, if you're still so caught up in who you are and what you already think you have and you here's, here's a typical American human being but very American mindset and you just want to add this Holy Spirit thing, I'm sure that would help. Turbocharge this whole thing. I got a lot going on but that would help. You just want to add the Holy Spirit to your personal resume, you Yet nothing. Oh, I thank you, Father, that you've not revealed yourself to the learned and the wise, but to little children. And that was your good pleasure. He gives power to the weak. He fills the empty. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Then learn to accept and even push past just accept and even, some of you, this is going to sound Silly, but others are going to nod and say, I get it. And even delight in your weakness. But let me show you what else you can do. And some of you are going to say, oh my goodness, I knew you would bring it around to this somehow. You always do. Well, I do because it's just in the Bible everywhere. Here's the second thing you can do apart from learn to accept even delight in your weakness childlike weakness number 2 this is what you can do a choice that you need to make you want to be filled with the spirit make this choice slowly carefully and prayerfully keep filling your life with God's word the bible and you're like oh bummer I thought this was going to be a series about the Holy Spirit. There's Bible kind of series and this is Holy Spirit, just a jetpack on my back. I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want to have to read the Bible again. Well, get ready to plod through life. Yea, verily crawl. Yea, verily lie there and quiver in the fetal position and say, mama, mama, mama. If you don't get a hold of this, you will never be spirit filled because news alert. The spirit of God is the spirit of truth and he loves God's word and his role is to make God's word more alive to you. Insights about God's word, a desire to obey God's word, understanding of God's word that changes how I see God's people and unbelievers and what's most important, in the, he can't work apart from God's word. You say, well, where are you getting this, Brad? Well, here's why I say this. I think it's interesting. You know, I said to you, you got to read the Bible. How much of it? Here's one of the most important reasons you could do that. Often one passage will inform you and help interpret and give insight to another passage. So if you're not reading all of God's Bible, you're missing some insights. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It's very interesting. Colossians 3, 16 and 17 is, an, is almost an exact parallel passage to the one that we're digging into these two weeks in Ephesians 5. And it's interesting. Listen to how it sounds. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the... Word of Christ dwelling you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and doesn't that sound familiar? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Some of the exact same elements that are found in Ephesians five are found in Colossians three. You say, "What's your point, Brad?" being filled with the spirit and being filled with the word are very much the same how can I be filled with the spirit you gotta be taking in God's word here's how I'd put it to you I'm not saying all of you are lost and you don't know Jesus but I'll say this some of you the Holy Spirit inside of you is starving his ribs are showing He's so anemic and weak. you got to feed him. He's like, give me something to work with. Give me something. to. Oh, I'm so discouraged. TV, 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 TV. Oh, I'm so depressed. Surfing blogs, surfing blogs. Yeah, and you will be. Unless you take this and as you read it, God's spirit is fed and God's spirit renews your mind. And God's spirit puts hope where there was despair and light where there was darkness and truth wherever there's deception and love where there was disinterest and hate and begins to fill you with his spirit because he fills you with God's word. Those two things are not diametrically opposed as two different subjects or conversations or sermon series. In other words, to be saturated and filled with the truth of God's word is to be saturated and filled with the spirit. I would say it to you this way. Don't seek after God's spirit apart from God's word. Now, don't hear me saying that it's wrong to want more. I wish all of you would want more and that you would say Do I have all that God meant for me to get? Why am I so weak? Why am I so easily discouraged? Why do I have such little joy? Why, why, why? But as you seek God's spirit, do it over God's word. Have the scriptures open and read them and cry out and say, God, I want more of you. I want to see more of you. I want more of your power. I want more of your compassion. I want to see people the way you see them. It isn't just gonna happen. But as you're in his word, you'll see Jesus, how compassionate he is to people. And God's spirit will work with that and start to make you more that way. And when you read a psalm that talks about God being over the nations and you're saying, God, give me, help me. I'm so easily losing heart thinking, oh, my goodness, what's going on in our world? Take this word and ignite it with your spirit to help me think differently, to help me to have hope. It's God's word and God's spirit, God's word, and God's spirit, God's word. Yes, seek his spirit over the pages of his word and say, God, change me, empower me, fill me. God's spirit eats God's word for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and loves to snack on it in between. Give him all you can and see what might happen In your life. God's word. Learn to accept. And even delight in. Your childlike weakness. Stop trying to prove how strong you are. And secondly. Carefully. Regularly. Slowly. Prayerfully. Seek to be filled with as much of God's word. As possible. You want to be filled with the Spirit? It's not a spooky thing, my friends. Here is the takeaway for today. And there's more that I'm going to dig into next week. But here's the takeaway for today. Some of you maybe said at the beginning of your message, that person you described, very inconsistent joy, little desire to be around God's people, flat on God's word, no courage. What would I do next, Brad? This. Because I don't need you to grab me in the hallway to believe that I am absolutely right. Right. I would not have one of you say, I am reading God's word. I am waiting with God's word. I'm meditating on God's word. I'm prayerfully crying out to God with God's word. And I'm hopeless. I'm so confused. All is dark. Uh-huh. I've never had that happen. I have people tell me all those things and I say, where are you reading in your Bible? Uh, well, I'm not. I'm just not a reader. Oh, please shut up. I don't know what to tell you. Great God of the universe decided that He would put His truth in words. That's what caused me to continue to press and not think. Well, I got to back off on this. People just don't read today. God gave us a word. And I've had people stand right here and say, oh my goodness, Pastor Brad, God has changed me. I couldn't read. I didn't want to read. I went all the way through high school without reading. I'm not a reader, but I am so on fire for the Lord and he has helped me to read and I am reading the Bible and it's changing. That could be the first place you start. Just cry out to him and say, God, this has to change. I'm going to stop saying, well, I'm just not a reader or I don't have time. Oh, I'm so sick of that. Whenever they say that, I said, well, how much TV did you watch this last week? Well, not much. I only have two favorite shows. What if you shut that off and had no favorite shows? How much time would you have had to read your Bible? How often do you look at your phone? Oh, like a million times in one day. What if you didn't do that? The time that would be gained and you're looking to see what's on Instagram and what's funny, and here's a video about a dog that bit a cat. Who cares? People are sending all this stuff, which by the way, don't send it to me. Delete is what I do. I don't have time for dogs biting cats and stupid stuff. It's like enough, enough. You have time. Decide where you want to spend it. You want power? You want joy? You want hope? You want purpose? You want to see the world the way he sees it? You want to have an understanding of what of his will is and how to read his word and prayerfully cry out. Seek God's spirit in conjunction with God's word. Figure out this week, what do you need to change so that you can start reading the Bible day after day? Week- and press on. Some of you are saying, but I try to read it. It's just, uh-huh, just keep reading. There's some meals that I say, okay, well, alrighty, that was food. <laughs> but I don't push away and say, I'm never eating again, because that didn't just send off rockets on the palate of my tongue. I'm never eating again. No, I just keep showing up for meals, and every now and then it's like, oh, my goodness, that's good. But in between, it kept me alive. <laughs> and some of you are near death spiritually, because you just keep waiting for, oh. It happens every now and then. Day after day. Week after week. Month after month. Year after year. Decade after decade. And see if the spirit doesn't begin to renew your mind. And give light. And give joy. And give a sense of purpose. And insight. About how to live for what matters most.